You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We take our Bibles now and read three passages from God's Holy Word. The first is John chapter 5. We read 23 verses. The Word of our God reads here as follows. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem to a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gates a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Well, I'm going to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We turn now to Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come 
so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath, because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It'll be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. Now we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the verses 16 through chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, we do not lose hearts. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our lights and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tents we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Congregation, I proclaim to you this morning the word of our God as we could read it from John, Exodus, and Corinthians. I ask your attention in particular for the word of the Lord as we find it in John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I suspect every one of us knows someone who struggles with a physical or perhaps a mental disability. We also realize from experience that battling with disability is not easy. A handicap. You can't do what you want to do. You can't be who you want to be. But there's also others of us who struggle with what we perceive to be handicap of a different sort. Within ourselves, we feel we can't be who we want to be. Physically healthy, mentally fine, and yet there's a weakness. Something's broken. Be it in terms of confidence, be it in terms of tension in the family, whatever it is, a weakness, we love to overcome it. And we try. And we can't. It gets us frustrated, discouraged. We want to be more. We want to be better. We want to overcome the weakness we have. It doesn't work. Our Lord Jesus Christ, my brothers, my sisters, knows so well how we struggle with life's brokenness. 
And he comes to us with his word of encouragement. I summarize the sermon this morning with this theme in Bethesda. Christ foreshadows the healing of all the disabled. I ask your attention for three points. What God does at Bethesda. In second place, why God does it. And in third place, so what? In our text this morning, congregation, Jesus makes a bold claim. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day. That statement angered the Jews. Angered the Jews because, says the following passage, Jesus equated himself with God. And they wouldn't take that. But then we need to notice there was another part of Jesus' statement that the Jews had no problem with. And that's the fact that the Father is always at work. The Jews recognized that's simply the reality taught in Scripture. And it's a reality you and I confess to in a confession as Lord's Day 10. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven, earth, and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade. And there's a lot of leaves in the trees in your garden. A lot of blades in your lawn. But leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hands. Jesus says these words, my father is always at his work. Every leaf and blade, all health, all sickness come from his hands. Jesus speaks these words in a particular context of God doing things on a Sabbath. That's verse 16. And the question that arises in our minds is this. What is the work of God Jesus is referring to when he says, my father is always at his work? What was happening on that Sabbath that was God at work? Well, congregation, the account itself is simple and straightforward. We know it. There was an Israelite man, a covenant child like you and me. He'd been circumcised at the sign and seal of the covenants, and so the promises of God, God was his father. There was redemption in Jesus' blood. There was this Israelite man, handicapped, for some 38 years, an invalid, longing to be healed, but he wasn't healed. Been at Bethesda for a long time, and he was there because he wanted healing. He thought to get it by working his way into the pool when the water was stirred. Jesus came, spoke to him. Do you want to get well? Well, yes. Pick up your mat and walk. And he did. Marvel of marvels. 
That's the accounts that prompted this discussion about the Sabbath. We read this and we say it's all rather straightforward. A man laying there in Bethesda for 38 years and he wants healing. A man that Jesus meets and talks to, yeah, that's straightforward and pretty normal. But this man gets up and walks. Ah, that's the work of God. The miracle. Yes. Well, no, congregation. No. God's work is not limited here to the man getting up and walking. But everything that's happened in the life of this man is and was the work of God. It was God who gave him his disability now 38 years ago. Was he paralyzed? Was he lame? I don't know. But health and sickness, riches and poverty come not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. God gave him his handicap. And undoubtedly, this man with his parents did whatever they could in order to achieve health. And God prevented healing. This man was now at Bethesda by the sheep gates. And it was God who brought him there. Always God at work. Oh yes, the man was there hoping for healing, healing from the stirring waters in the pool. The pool represented hopelessness. He couldn't get there on time. And yet it was God who was at work, also in that circumstance of hopelessness. He is seeking help in the wrong place. And the point, congregation, is this. That we're not to see God at work only in what we call the miracle of John 5. But we're to see God at work in every detail of this man's life. That includes then too, beloved, that this man is laying where he's laying. At the sheep gate. Why is that important? This sheep gate was the gate that was used to bring sheep into the temple. Inside that temple, sacrifices were offered for sin. And you know, too, the significance of those sacrifices. On account of the fall into sin, the human race deserved to die. Equally, because of daily transgressions, each person deserves to die. But the gospel of redemption God prepared for his people was that another would die in place of the sinner. And that other is ultimately the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. That's the gospel driven home to the people of Israel by the sacrifices in the temple. Sheep die in place of sinners. This invalid is laying in Bethesda by the sheep gates. And so he sees flock after flock of sheep pass through the sheep gate into the temple to be sacrificed for sin. the Sabbath. 
This extra sacrifice is required because of the Sabbath. There's even a feast. Extra sacrifices because of that. Sin deserves judgment. You see, this man is confronted with the consequences of the fall. Is confronted too with what God is doing about the consequences of the fall. But notice then that this particular man is, we would say, excessively burdened because of the consequence of the fall. He has a disability. And that was a disability that did not and would not exist in paradise. Because of the fall into sin, brokenness came into the world. That's Genesis chapter 3. It's the curse of God. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food till you return to the ground. Sins from it you were taken. Dust you are, and to dust you will return, and returning to dust is a process. And part of the process is sickness, is handicap, so that eventually you wither out and you die. So what's happening in Bethesda? The gospel of redemption. And that congregation is to say that the emphasis in Bethesda does not lie on healing, but on forgiveness of sins. The emphasis in Bethesda lies on addressing the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin. Addressing the cause of this man's misery, this man's handicap, sin. Here's the gospel of Psalm 103. Who is God? He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. In that order. Bethesda, the sheep gate, the temple, the gospel of redemption, of forgiveness of sins. And because of forgiveness, healing is possible. This is where God directs the path of this disabled man. He has to go to the temple to face the gospel. God would set before him the good news. But the man's blind to the good news. The pool. That's where redemption is. Fixing his broken body. The pool. But is that really God? To heal a person on a first-come, first-serve. No, on a first-come-only-serve basis. The first thing that's healed, nobody else does. Is that God? We understand. There's something so broken here. Not just in this man's body, but in this man's hope. In this man's faith. And now what's God do? In the circumstances that he's let this man be in, God leads things in such a way that the Savior of the world confronts him. 
on the Sabbath day, sovereign God sends his son to the temple. But the son does not enter the temple via the normal gates, but he goes around to Bethesda by the sheep gates. And their sovereign God draws to the son's attention this man laying there for so long, and the wants of this man to be healed. Jesus approaches him. Verse 6. Do you want to get well? What a question. Of course he does. But the brokenness of this life. I can't get there on time. And Jesus heals. Get up, he says. Pick up your mats and walk. And at once the man was cured picked up his mat and walked. And we say, how remarkable, how exciting. And it is God at work. And the climax of God's work to this point was that the invalid gets up and he walks. We bring us to our second point. Why did God do this? Well, congregation, our Lord Jesus Christ has been back and forth between Galilee and Judea a number of times. But now he's in Judea, in Jerusalem, for a specific reason. Chapter 5, verse 1, he's there for a feast of the Jews. We don't know which feast it was. But we do need to know, brothers and sisters, that every feast of the Jews highlighted the privilege of belonging to God. Each feast highlighted the gospel of God sending His Son, displaying His mercy for the redemption of the unworthy. And that is why, in turn, every feast was in turn to be a celebration amongst the people of God's mercy, an opportunity to give mercy to others, to share of God's goodness. But Bethesda saw so little of that sharing, of that giving. That's what a feast is supposed to do. Add to that... This is the Sabbath. And what's the significance of that? We read together a portion from Exodus chapter 31. A passage that tells us of the significance of the Sabbath, says the Lord, it'll be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day abstained from his work and rested. God, we need to know, created the human race to image him, to reflect what he is like, also in the way he works. It's pleased God to work six days, so people to work six days, and God rest the seventh, so people to rest. And by that resting on the Sabbath, the Lord would impress upon his people the covenant bond between himself and the undeserving. This people is his people. Exactly because this people is his people, 
Does he not want the people to die on account of sin? Nor to be crushed by the burdens resulting from the fall into sin? But this God of the covenant would forgive his people and would give healing. Israel is his people. And they must taste his mercy. Well now, that is what this man must taste. Covenant God would press upon this covenant child on this day that is a sign of the covenant. What the wealth of the covenant means for the people of God of all ages. And that is that God would deliver from sin and the bitter consequences of sin. So the Lord presses upon this man that the Son of God is going to deliver, is going to crush the head of the serpents. And because sin is taken away, there can be healing again. The sick shall be sick no more. That's the glorious results of the gospel. The Father leads the path of the Son in such a way that the Son is at Bethesda on the Sabbath. It is the Father who has teed circumstances up in such a way as to have a task for the Son on the Sabbath. A task of proclaiming the gospel of redemption and its glorious results. And so the Son must follow on in the work of God. Good news there is for this invalid. Good news there is for all the other invalids at Bethesda. Though they don't get healed, they do get confronted with the gospel of redemption, forgiveness, and so healing. But it's not just the invalid and the other invalids who get confronted in Bethesda with this healing, with the work of God. But it is all the people of the temple of Jerusalem of the world, and it is you and it is I. In the midst of all our brokenness and the handicaps of life, the Lord would press on you, me, peoples everywhere. The glorious gospel of redemption. You see, that is why God is working to this day. As our text has it. But congregation, if God is at work, at work pressing the gospel of redemption upon those burdened by the brokenness of the fallen to sin, then a consequence follows. It's our third point. So what? So what? Beloved, if the Lord God set circumstances together in such a way that Jesus now is a task to do, what shall Jesus do? Shall he say, I can't do it? 
No, says our text, my father is always at his work to this very day, organizing circumstances as they are at Bethesda, and says, Jesus, I too am working. Jesus has to work with the Father, has to respond to what the Father's put on his path. That is why Jesus heals the man. Yes. But congregation, there's more. Exactly because Jesus heals this man is the brokenness of this man put onto the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Can I say it that way? This man is broken, this man is handicapped because of the fall into sin. So Jesus heals him. But then Jesus has to address sin. Has to take away the cause of this man's handicap, of his brokenness. So Jesus has to keep on working. How? From Bethesda, he has to travel on to Golgotha. He must go to the cross. And this, beloved, is what he did. My father is working, and I too am working, says Jesus. And he keeps on working all the way to Golgotha. On the cross. Jesus was himself totally disabled. Crucified he was. And he couldn't do anything anymore. Couldn't even scratch an itch. Handicapped indeed. Powerless. And yet he could cry out. In the fullness of time that it is done. Finished. Sin is paid for. There is atonement to reconcile sinners to God again. This congregation is the word of the Apostle Paul. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the weak. Jesus on the cross, handicapped, disabled, unable to do whatever he wanted anymore. The weak God chose to shame the strong. Because Jesus in his weakness conquered sin. Satan reconciled sinners to God. That sinners in turn can be children of God. But if that is so, then there is no reason for any of us to lose hearts. Though outwardly we are wasting away a physical handicap and perhaps a mental handicap or some other weakness in our home, in our lives, in our person, whatever, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly, says the apostle, we're being renewed day by day. For our lights and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. A glory that's to come in Christ Jesus. And so, says the apostle, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, like the brokenness 
the disability. It's in us to fix our eyes on that and get so discouraged and frustrated. Says the apostle, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And what's the unseen? Why the victory of Christ guarantees our victory. His brokenness guarantees our perfection. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and it will be destroyed, we shall all be buried one day, unless Christ comes before that. We know. If the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. A perfect house. A perfect place to be. A perfect self. No more brokenness. As the Apostle John could see in Revelation 21. No more tears. No more stress. No more frustration. No more crying. No more death. For the old order of things has passed away. And all the brokenness and all the handicap is gone. Gone eternally. No longer, says the Apostle, will there be any curse. The results of the fall into sin in Genesis 3, all, all taken away. The handicap we struggle with now is preparing us for greater glory. It directs our attention away from ourselves, because we, we can't. Drives our attention to Christ, who can, who did. And so in weakness, we're strong in faith, confident in our Savior. What shall we do then? With our handicaps and brokenness, Discouraged, beloved, we shall not be. But we shall believe that our Father is working always, even up till now, and giving us the particular handicap and brokenness and struggles we have. And we're confident it all serves His purpose for His greater glory. How it all fits together? We don't have to understand that. But we believe, believe it all serves God's greater purpose. And so we long for the day of Christ's return, a day that comes soon in brokenness. We keep our eye fixed on Him who triumphed. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.